0: amen 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 indeed indeed have your way this morning father have your way this morning and sometimes in order for God to have his way you know we got to do sometimes we got to get out of the way and sometimes this morning we come in with these mindsets uh, I'm just so tired it's been a long week, and my boss been on my back, but when we come to the house of God, we come to say, Lord, you have your way, forget about me, forget about what I've been through, forget about my concerns and, and my cares and my car and my home and my job, but let it be about your rule and your way and your holiness and your goodness and your grace. Can we get out the way this morning? And let God be God. Let him rule, let him reign, and trust in him. Trust in him. Sometimes we come in and we sing songs like it's not over unless he says it's over. But in our hearts, we really think it's over. We we look at the news and say it'll never get any better. We look at our our, our home situation, and say it'll never get better. We look at our children, and say it'll never get better. The schools will never get better. This world will never get better. But if you believe, what we sing sometimes, it's not over till He says it's over. And here on this Father's Day. What a perfect day for us to take a moment and just give our Heavenly Father a round of applause applause and praise for whom he is. Our great Father, our mighty Father, our Father. Who is indeed worthy. If anybody is worthy our God is worthy for his faithfulness alone. Because we know, we know how we act. And we know people that we angered, And we, we know people that have ridden us off because of our behavior. But isn't it good to know that we serve a heavenly father that does not write you off once you're his. It's good to know that he is ruling and he is reigning at all times. At all times. Amen. Amen. For his family, it is indeed good to be in the house of the Lord one more time. To gather collectively to cast our thoughts, to open our hearts, to desire not just the stuff from God. But to take a moment just to de- desire Him and allow Him to minister to us this morning. Amen? Yeah. So, indeed, we are so grateful to God um,
1: for answering prayers.
0: And, like, what, what prayers did God answer? Then we prayed last week that He will return our missionaries home safely yeah. and that a uh, mighty work will happen. We sure did. And God uh, has brought our missionaries back home. We are so grateful to those who uh, came up out of their comfort zones and went and, and, and just served. And we thank you for all those who supported and all those who prayed. So God is definitely good and he is doing mighty and wonderful things here at Forest Baptist Church. Amen. So as we gather this morning, and it is a day to give special recognition to fathers. It it is more than appropriate that we focus our hearts and our minds upon our perfect Heavenly Father, the one from whom all blessings flow, everything good. What does the scripture say? Every good and perfect gift. It it comes from God. He he is the source. He, He is the fountainhead. He is the one from where all blessings flow. So if you would, turn with me to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. we will be reading verses 1 through 17. And as you turn, and as we do as we read this passage of scripture this morning, may we be reminded of the great love that our heavenly father has for us. You know, just like the Grand Canyon and how massive, how long and how wide and how deep the Grand Canyon is. So much so much more is the love of God. The love that he has for us is so long and it's so wide and it's it's so deep. And as we step back and when, when we reflect really reflect upon the love of God, we we have to sit in amazement that there is such a love. And for the purposes of this morning, what we want to do is Gaze upon this grand canyon of love, but yet with our spiritual binoculars, zoom in to just one aspect of it. And from the scriptures this morning, we will be zooming in. So let's get our spiritual binoculars ready as we go through these scriptures. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, beginning with verse 1. And the word of God reads, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, rather than pleasant, but but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping heads and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness with which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it becomes defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated this morning. So this morning we will be dealing with the subject, the Father's perfect love displayed through discipline. The Father's perfect love displayed through discipline. Let us look to the Lord in prayer. Holy and heavenly Father, we do not come before your great, majestic throne. We come now knowing the Lord, That apart from your spirit, we cannot see and we cannot hear. Father, please, right now, pour out your spirit upon us. Breathe into us life. Lord, may what we consider to be ordinary blow up in our hearts so we can see just how extraordinary you are. Lord, may our worship not become routine because we do it each week. May we not get used to holy things. May we not handle the holy things of God with ordinary hearts. Lord, break our hearts this morning. Bring us to repentance. As our hearts are hardened by the cares and affairs of this world, but Lord, you are doing a thing in us even now. Father, we pray that your word will root up and tear down, that you may come in and transform by the power of your word. Father, may your spirit grant me a word from above. May I not come with my own word or my own agenda, but may you truly be the one to glorify. Father, please, as children, Help us to have a new perspective of whom you are. And may we see you as the great, eternal, and holy Father whom you are. We love you, dear God. Come quickly, Jesus. In thy name we do pray. Amen. 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 Have you ever been in a situation where you're having a conversation with with someone and you notice that they have a completely different perspective than you. You start talking to them and you leave the conversation and then you, you reflect on the conversation and then you, you say did they even know what I was talking about? It's, it's like they, they're from another planet another world and you're trying to figure out what's really going on. For for children, it may be some, something as simple as kids watching uh, clouds float by. You know, one child just points up, hey, I see a dragon. And the other child say, hey, I see an Xbox 360 with Battlefield 2 on it. <laughs> just a, a completely different perspective from one another. But that happens a lot. That happens a lot in life. And we need to be careful and how we see God. Because we come to God with a certain perspective, with our own uh, background and, 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 and our own concerns and our own thoughts about God, but yet he has a divine, eternal perspective of how everything will be. The important things about perspective there's usually one who has a positive perspective and one who has a negative perspective. Another case in point, the NBA championship. They may have been some who are just so happy that Dallas won. Look at them. But there's some who are so upset that Dallas won. The same event in time, but yet two completely different perspectives. So a person's perspective has a lot to do with how they see the world and and respond to what's going on. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and anybody who deals with children quickly learn this this lesson. You can give a child a, a task, a chore to do. Say, go clean up your room. And then you come back, the room's still a mess. You say, didn't I tell you to clean up your room? Like I did. Different perspectives. Don't take it, don't take out the trash. Come back, the trash still there. Didn't I tell you to take out the trash? Oh, I thought you meant later. Different perspectives. So, as parents, we we completely understand and see, and anyone who deals with children, you, you, you see that this difference of perspective affects a lot of what's really going on in life. But when it comes to discipline, there is definitely a difference in perspective between the one in authority and the one receiving the discipline. When it comes to children, a parent's primary, primary responsibility is to make sure that child is doing what is right. They have a heart, a, a care, a concern for that child. They have an a, a unfailing love for this child. So when that child gets out of line or, or does something that is contrary with whom they should be, then the parent corrects them with discipline. Now the parent sees that as love. I, I am showing love for my child. I am showing love for those who are under my authority because of how I'm disciplining them and, and, and bringing them up to do what is right. But yet, the child doesn't quite see it that way. They see it as an angry parent who just don't understand and, and is carrying out their frustrations on them. But is it, is it so? Is it really so? And often from discipline, parents hear two phrases they dread hearing. You don't love me. And I hate you. Mm, mm, mm. Those are some of the most hurtful words a parent can hear come out of the mouth of their child. Yes, the same child who you've been raising. Yes, the same child you have sacrificed for. Yes, the same child you have loved unconditionally. Yes, that one, they said it. You don't love me. I hate you. Realize that these are words of a child who doesn't have a proper perspective. But yet, in the same way, we have a wrong perspective when it comes to our Heavenly Father, a perspective that's, that's so far gone, we find ourselves saying those very same words to God when we get into a difficult situation. You don't love me. I hate you. And this is the situation the Holy Spirit is addressing Here. We say in our hearts, God, if you really loved me, you wouldn't let me go through this. But we have a Heavenly Father that is saying to us this morning, it is because I love you that I allow you to go through this. God's desire this morning is for us to change our perspective about his divine discipline. Hold your fingers here. And turn quickly over to Romans, the 8th chapter. To even begin to develop a proper perspective of what God wants out of our lives, we have to know what is the end goal? What is the the result that God is trying to do with our lives? What's the point? What's the point? me going through what I'm going through uh, time after time what, is, what does God really want to do I know I'm his child he says in Romans the 8th chapter verse 29 for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers God wants it, God wants identical twins in all his children. And he wants them to look like Jesus. As children of God, that is the end goal. God wants us to look like, talk like, walk like, think like, act like Jesus. He pours his love out... Upon us and and through his love, he uses it to conform us and to shape us. But part of that shaping is his discipline. This word discipline that's used in this passage uh, numerous times, the primary use of this word discipline, it deals with the whole training and education of children. Relating to the cultivation of minds and morals and employs for this purpose present commands, admonishments, reproof, and punishment. There is a, a, a moral teaching, a good that you want to get out of a child or someone under your authority. So in order to get to where you want them to go, there's some present commands, some present instructions that needs to take place. It's like if I'm trying to get somewhere on the map, I, I know where I'm going. Just tell me how to get there. I, I I want to get to that point. But as a divine parent, God uses discipline to get us there. Because truthfully, apart from discipline is rebellion. Apart from apart from discipline, it's chaos confusion disorder all those things where God's hand is not so there must be some type of discipline and it it is god's desire to place upon his children a framework of life a framework of discipline so that we can be on the same page with him in understanding his divine perspective discipline i dare say is a good thing and as we look to the text this morning the first thing The first thing we need to have in order to be on the same page with God, our Heavenly Father, is we need to have a prepared perspective. We need to have a prepared perspective. Verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so easily, cling so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus... The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sin such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. This epistle, this letter of Hebrews, has an unknown author, but we know that the Holy Spirit constructed the Bible that we have. So the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And in the context here, the Holy Spirit is speaking to Jewish Christians who, who have faith, who will, are currently facing, who in the, in the future may face some type of hardship, some type of trial. And as the Spirit is, is, is moving from chapter 11 to chapter 12, he does so with a therefore. Therefore, a quick tip, whenever you are reading scriptures, and it starts out with a therefore, you need to go back to read and see why it's therefore, and you need to see what was taking place and what was happening in order for the text to say, to resolve, now do this. I love Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is your reasonable service. Paul gets there because in chapters 1 through 11, he's been talking about the goodness of God, our sinfulness, all that he's done, all that he's doing. Now, therefore, you can live holy because all that he has done. The same here. The same here. And as we look back, we see that great chapter of faith of those throughout history who have shown their faith through obedience to God in spite of the cost. And that's what the Spirit is getting to here. The Spirit is moving us along. Look back to Hebrews 11. Start with verse 32. Hebrews 11, verse 32. And the spirit says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in the war, put foreign armies to flight. and that's the good part. We're like, yeah. They was handling business for the Lord. They was taking care of. It. So, see, those are the exciting things that we see of the faithful. But let's read on. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with sword. With the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, They did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In order to prepare these Jewish Christians for what was coming, they had to be reminded that those of faith in Christ, that those who were affiliated with Jesus Christ would suffer. Not only did the Old Testament saints suffer waiting on Jesus, not only will they suffer for their faith in Christ, but the very one, the perfect foundation of our faith. He suffered. Jesus suffered. There's much more to dig out of that passage, but but the big picture of of what we must see here is that when, when we come to Christ, we must be prepared to suffer. True faith in Christ produces a lifestyle that this world hates. Because of that, we suffer. But on the flip side of that, faith in Christ produces a lifestyle that God loves so much that he squeezes you a little bit and so they get more out of you. There's difficulties in the Christian walk. We have to prepare our perspective. Sometimes we I, I don't know about evangelism, sometimes it's painted this, 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 this bubble gum and rainbows and unicorn type Christianity where, oh, everything is cool, everything is fine. Oh, you got problems? All you need is Jesus. Oh, you got this? Oh, just add Jesus. Oh, you got that? Just add Jesus. And we come thinking that once I'm in Christ, everything is good. Now, certainly, in regards to your soul, everything is well. But when God, when Jesus was praying for the disciples, he didn't say, I'm going to take them with me. He said, I'm going to leave them here. You come dwell with them while they are here because there's work for us to do. We have to have the understanding if we want a prepared perspective that suffering is just, it's part of the Christian life. One great hindrance to living a... Spirit filled and abounding Christian life is contentment. Contentment. That's avoiding anything uncomfortable. If it's uncomfortable, I don't want to do it. If it's going to cause some pain, I don't want to do it. If it's going to take money out of my pocket, I ain't going to do it. If it's going to take my time, I don't want to do it. All I want to do is show up and leave. Don't let the preacher preach extra long because I'm tired. Nah, I'm uncomfortable. 21st century Christians, we want what we want. and it's, But it's part of the culture we, what we, we live in. This smorgasbord of you can have anything you want, so go get it. We teach our children from a young age, you can grow up to be whatever you want to be. We say it to encourage them, but we take out God and say, maybe we should say you can be whatever God has called you to be. Now let's seek his will together and find out what God really wants you to do. When hardship, suffering, and trials come, it's easy to cry out to God. Why me? Why me, God? I go to church. I serve here. I serve there. I I, I do the things that good Christians do. Lord, why me? God often answers those type of questions with another question of his own. He says, why not you? Why not you? Why can't you suffer? Throughout the history of the world, those faithful to God have endured hardship and pain. Jesus himself endured pain for God's plan and for our sake. We cannot think that we won't suffer if Jesus himself suffered. In Acts, the apostles were, preaching in Acts, the fifth chapter, beginning with verse 40, and it says, and and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they, watch this, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. How about Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11? Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. If there is any danger involved, we don't want to do it. Uncomfortable, content, content. But Jesus has the right perspective. Look back at verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, watch this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne. Jesus knew what was about to take place. He, he knew fully what needed to happen. Who would really want that? Who would really want that cast upon them? But for the joy set before him, that joy of God's glorious plan being fulfilled and him redeeming a people unto God that he may pour out his love upon them. That's his joy. His joy is that I may know the Father. His joy is that I may be loved by God. That's his joy. When we consider Jesus, when we consider the cross, when we consider the shame, when we consider just what he endured, something takes place. And our perspective begins to shift and, and begins to change. And in verse 3 says, consider him who endured from sinner such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. It's something about Thinking about Jesus, that puts a little pep in your stuff. You could be down and you can be out. But the scripture says sometimes we just need to consider him. Just, just think about the cross and think about the lashes and think about the beatings and, and, and all the suffering. Sometimes just, we just need to think about Jesus for a moment and all of a sudden our, our energy comes back. And we say, I, I, I can run this race now. I can fight this fight because of Jesus. In order to be ready for what God wants to do in us, we must have a perspective that's prepared to endure, a prepared perspective. But not only does our Heavenly Father Father wants us to have a prepared perspective, he wants to have a processed perspective. Verses 4 through 9. in which all have participated, that you are illegitimate children and sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? A process perspective is a perspective with a right understanding of what's really going on. Uh, A behind-the-scenes look to really know what's taking place and what's going on. So before the Hebrews could have a proper perspective of God's discipline, they had to understand what God was doing. And to help them process these facts, that it was because of God's love that they had to endure these hardships, trials, and temptations, the Spirit gives them reasons why discipline would come. Discipline from God comes in various types. There is discipline for correction. That's the type of discipline where you've done wrong, your mama know you've done wrong, your daddy know you've done wrong, your teachers know you, where you, everybody knows you, you've done wrong. And there's some correction that needs to take place. Correction, this, the, correction similar to, similar to that of David in 2 Samuel, He has just had Uriah murdered. Nathan is talking to him. And he says here in chapter 12, verse 9, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now watch this. Now, he blew it. This is sin. Watch what takes place as a result of his sins. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Sometimes discipline comes in a form of correction where you've done wrong, now you have to pay the consequences. You, you have to pay the consequences. You, you, you're not going to get off scot-free. And God disciplines his children when they're in error to correct us. But then also, there is discipline for protection. And this is the type of discipline that keeps you from yourself. It, it keeps you from yourself. Because some of us, we, we, we know. Now, let's be real. We know the reason why God keeps us kind of broke <laughs> is because as soon as we get something, he know we go. As soon as I get a little something, I'm just waiting on a little something in my pocket. And I'm going to whatever. We, we, and we know that that's the type of discipline where God, I know as, as soon as I let them off, as soon as I give them this, they're going to be off the hook. So guess what? I'm going to keep the discipline on them that they won't go astray. That they won't fall into sin. That they won't make my name blasphemous this is the type of correction this is the type of protection given to paul in second corinthians chapter 12 where it says so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations a thorn was given to me in the flesh a messenger of satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited god cares about you so much that he's willing to protect you from yourself not just from the situation, circumstances, but from yourself. Because we, we know Satan has observed us, and all Satan needs to do is push that button and we're gone. So God keeps that button with a lock, a padlock and a, and a case, so it can't be pushed that our testimonies may be good. But also God gives discipline for education for education. This is the type of discipline where you not necessarily did anything wrong. You're not trying to protect you from anything. But he wants to show you a little something about himself. He wants to show you just what he's capable of doing. This is the type of education that Job received. In the 42nd chapter, he says, after I after he was going to God, he had started to complain. And then God said, where were you when I did this, when I did that? And for like two chapters, he just let him have it. And where were you? Where were you? Where were you? And through that situation, God was showing his glory. And now, on the other side of it, Job is like, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now I see my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in the dust and ashes. God was showing himself to Job in that situation. Sometimes you, sometimes you go through something just to see how good God is. If, if, if you're never being delivered, then how do you know what deliverance looked like? If, if, if you never had a battle to fight, how would you ever know what victory was? If you never had a down moment, how would you know there's an up moment? God takes us through just so we can know Him better. And with God, there are various types of discipline, but also He has various reasons for discipline. Back in Hebrews, God disciplines the faithful so that they remember Jesus. Verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. When I first was considering that, it's almost almost dual in nature. There's, There's this face value that while you're struggling, don't forget, it, it could be worse. Whatever, whatever situation, whatever problem, it can be much, much, much worse. And as I continue to pray over that and, and, and to consider that, I think what the Spirit is doing as well is saying, here you have Jesus suffering the most, atrocious, the pinnacle of suffering and hardship, all that is, that is wrong. And when you look back at Jesus and all that he's went through, it doesn't allow you to have that pity party. And, and, and it keeps you from the woe is me's. When we look back and remember Jesus, it keeps us this, oh, boy. My car broke down, this, and and it it keeps that complaining spirit. Yes, it may have happened, but do we invite everybody to our pity party to come pat us on our back? No, we, we look to Jesus. God wants us to keep our eyes on Jesus, to focus on him. The Hebrews were to find their identity in Christ by faith and not be identified by their present circumstance. Don't be identified by your trouble. Don't be identified by your addiction. Oh, yeah, that's such and such, the alcoholic. That's such and such, that's the weed head. Oh, that's such and such, that's the drug dealer. Don't be identified by the circumstance. Allow God to place his uh, blood upon you, and you'll be identified in Christ. Not only that, but God disciplines the faithful so that they remember his word verses 5 and 6, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The Hebrews being familiar with the law, the, the prophets, and the writings, they would have understood this to be a quote from Proverbs. And part of the larger passage in Proverbs, it deals with keeping God's commandments and, and trusting God. We read it today, trusting the Lord along your heart and leaning out on your own understanding. It, 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 so this, this whole trusting God, believing on him, and you will be blessed. It was not just theory anymore. No longer could they just say they believed in God, but now they had to, believe, had to live like they believed in God. When when hardships and trials come your way, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, I know Jesus got my back. Oh, yeah, I know Jesus is able. But are you living like Jesus is able? Are you moving forward in life like you really can? In the midst of a circumstance, you got to trust your training. The Hebrews would have been very familiar with the Old Testament. And the Holy Spirit is reminding them when you're going through, you have to trust your training. You have to trust the word of God that you have put in you. Just like a military, uh, just like a soldier. They go to basic training, and they train, train, train. And when they get on the field, and people ask them, well, well what are you going to do when such and such happens? I'm just going to have to trust my training. When you're in the Christ, we got to get to the point where we're not thinking about responding or what we will say or how we will deal with it. We have to trust our training that God has shown us how to live and walk out this life. By his word. Not only does God want us to remember Jesus, not only does he want us to remember his word, but he, wanna, he God disciplines the faithful so that they remember to grow. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Grasping what the term discipline meant in their culture, they they would have understood completely in their mind that his discipline was a, a cultivation, a, a, a bringing up and a raising of a, tri- of a child that, that took a process. It, it didn't all just come at once, but there was a process that was taking place, and the father was responsible for this process to raise up their child. This structure being placed upon them. And just as we have earthly fathers who are responsible for training children. The Heavenly Father takes those same responsibilities upon himself, and he disciplines us so that we will grow and not be stagnant. In Philippians 1 and 6, he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What great news! What great news that would be for the Hebrews the same God who has decided to make you his very own, he has promised that he will grow you up and you will look like Jesus. He's not going to give up on you. He will make you like Jesus. John 15, verses 1 and 2 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Sometimes God prunes us, and the cuts are sharp, and the, the cuts hurt. But God is doing that, that we may bear even more fruit. That's like when people say, you better be care- careful what you pray for. And people, people are so scared to pray for patience. <laughs> Don't nobody want to pray for Patience. Because they know as soon as we begin praying for patience that God will put a trial in your life in such a way that he will prune and, and stretch you and, and pull you. And then when you're finished, though, God has built patience up in you and preparing you for the next trial so that you can continue to be grown. God is using this pruning process to help us bear more fruit for him. But also, God disciplines the faithful so that they remember whom to honor as father. Verses 8 and 9. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? The faithful Hebrews, they, they could be encouraged by this word, this, this testament, that, God, that they belong to God. Being reminded from the scriptures and what it said about God's discipline, they were assured of their sonship. They were children of God because of, of what they were going through. Because they were children of God, they should respect him even more so than a father. If the one who created all things is their father then? Doesn't he deserve to be respected and obeyed? To make this plain so we can see it here in the 21st century, we can view this through the grocery store meltdown. The grocery store meltdown where you're in the store, and you see that child acting a fool, cutting up, yelling. They don't pass out on the floor. And, and, you, and you in your cart and you, and you going, and you look at them, what you say? Boy, glad that ain't my child. <laughs> Boy, if, 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 my, if my child did that, and we begin to think that if that was my child, then I would be actively doing something in their life at that moment to help them out, to be morally correct. Is not that what God does to his children. When we are acting a fool, when we are out of control sometimes, he comes in and instead of looking afar like, that's not my child, if we belong to him, he comes over and corrects us. He corrects us that we may know we are his. You don't just go places and discipline children who aren't yours. You went for a lawsuit or fights or you're, you went for something if you're trying to whoop somebody else's child. But that's a testimony that when I see my children acting up, I'm going to do something about it. Take joy. When we get disciplined, sometimes it's because we are his children, the faithful who have trusted Christ. We have to learn our lessons. If we don't learn our lessons in life, then we just see them as just difficulties. We just see them as just life just happening. We must respect and honor our Father. Are you his? Are you his? So why does God discipline the faithful? He disciplines us that we may remember Jesus, that we may remember his word, that we may remember to grow, and that we may remember to honor him as father. But lastly, once we have a prepared perspective and a processed perspective, we will gain a productive perspective. Verse 10, for they discipline us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, unlike those, those who had worshipped those false pagan gods, the Hebrews would have known that the God of Israel was the one true God who had a purpose and a plan for everything. And just as God has a specific purpose and a specific plan for all things, he has a specific plan to produce certain fruit in the lives of his faithful. Without going into too much detail, but but God wants to discipline us so that he produces good for my life. He wants to produce good. that, That which is morally right, morally correct, That that, that framework I was talking about where we're operating in a good fashion of life. God God disciplines his children to produce in us holiness. A life that is consecrated, a life that is separate from this world. Why is it you get in trouble every time you hang with those same set of friends? Every time. God wants to set you apart. You are his. Stop being like the world. God's discipline produces righteousness. So not only a right way of living, but, but a, this is our, a harmony with God in salvation. Not just right standing, but he produces with us those who humble themselves, submit themselves to God and his discipline, He will bring us to a point where we're broken, we're defeated, and we're ready to repent of our sin and to trust Christ. He brings about the righteousness in our lives through discipline, a weighty, heavy burden. The Hebrews would have just been ecstatic to hear this. They would have been encouraged because now they knew that they were not enduring in vain. Their trials would would not be for nothing. Their their pain would have an ultimate payoff. The Hebrews would have understood the concept of having to go through something to to get to the other side. See, before Israel could ever get to the promised land, they had to go through the Red Sea. See, but, but before Israel could ever get to the promised land, they had to go through the wilderness for some time. Before Israel could ever get to the promised land, they had to cross over the Jordan. They had to fight battles. They had to get in the mix. But they knew God had promised on the other side this promised land. So the Hebrews would have known, they would have seen this and said, glory be to God because my trials are not in vain because there's something on the other side of it. As faithful followers of Christ, there's going to be temptations and failure and trials and hurt. Will you press on? Will you endure? Whenever difficulty comes your way, remember Jesus. Remind yourself for the joy set before him. There's a joy set before us. Oh, what a great salvation when we see Jesus. A productive perspective is what he desires. What is your perspective this morning to God's great love? Can you see the love of God through his discipline just as clear as you see it through his blessings? Do we have a proper perspective of God's discipline upon his children? God's perfect love. Is dis- displayed through the discipline of his children. To behold this love, we need a prepared perspective. To embrace this love, we need a processed perspective. To regard this love, we need a productive perspective. We need a divine perspective of life. If we will lovingly accept this discipline, it's funny, we talk in class on Wednesdays about discipline and submitting to your parents and we talk about the situations where you've done wrong and you know you've done wrong but your your parents get on you then you get mad at them because they got on you because you did wrong and we start to try to explore the logic of how that works okay I'm in the wrong they told me I'm wrong did I get mad at them because they told me I'm wrong how many times do we do that to God we get mad at him when he try, he's trying to correct us and straighten us out, that we may look more like Jesus. The next time trouble comes, do we really love God? Will he, will he hear you say, you don't love me, I hate you. Or will he hear you say, Lord, you love me more than I could ever imagine. Thank you for your fatherly love. These are comforting words to his children. But what about you? Are you his child? I like how verse 11 closes. It talks about discipline produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. See, for a believer, we. We can get a lot of peace from that knowing that God has saved us. But for the unbeliever, there is no peace. Not even just peace of life and, and how you're doing. But there's no peace because you have sinned against the Holy God. And your sins have separated you from God. In the midst, there's this sin that keeps you away from God. Because he is so holy and so righteous, sin cannot dwell with him. You cannot bring your sin to God's table and him to just be okay with it. Where are you this morning? Do you have a peace with God? Have you recognized him for who he is, the heavenly father, the creator of all things? Or do you stand with your fists? called up, the to God. I hate you. May you speak to your hearts this morning. Father, we do thank you for being such a good heavenly father. We thank you for your discipline, Lord. It's hard to understand why sometimes. But from the scriptures, you are showing us that it's for our good and your glory that we may be holy and acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, on this Father's Day, may we not just see you as God who sits up in the sky, but may we see you as our Heavenly Father, the one who cares so deeply, the one who cares so much about us, so much so that you sent your only begotten Son to not not only take away sin, but to make us children of God. Father, may your word resonate within our hearts. Every time we go through something, may we not complain, may we not moan. But may there be some type of gratefulness in our hearts that reminds us that we belong to you. But Father, for the one who does not know you as Lord and Savior, they are going through life in vain. There is no ultimate payoff. There is no ultimate pleasure. There is only an ultimate penalty in hell separation from you. Lord, rescue that one today. Lord, pour out your spirit. Bring us broken before your cross. May they submit to your will even this morning, oh Lord. Father, we love you for what you have done, for what you are doing, for what you will do in and through the lives of your faithful. Father, have your way with us this week. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.